Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, wherever you're tuning in. We are Slava and Jonathan, bringing you the SideQuest Podcast, where we talk about character development, stories, and all things that are world-building. And we occasionally take side quests because, frankly, that's how conversations work. Just as a reminder, this whole show is spoiler-heavy. So sit back, tune in, and join us on this episode of SideQuest. Well, that's not true. I've also been used for physical now that I think about it. Anyway. Let's unpack that. <laughs> no, no, we don't have to do that. That's for off-air. We should do... Stay tuned for Wednesday's bonus episode. Oh, no. Jonathan used physically. Oh. Good morning, Slava. Good morning, Jonathan. Happy to be here. How is your October going? It is busier than I want it to be. But other than that, it's Sounds going scary. okay. I was really hoping you were going to tell me something scary. So, um, so much for that. Something scary. I got nothing. Nothing scares me. <laughs> I, I am. I'm in, impervious to to fear. <laughs> I'm impervious to fear. Okay. Well, then let's do this. What's the scariest story that someone has ever told you? It can be real or it can be fake. Oh, just like a like a a friend. That, that is a good question. All right, I got one. I'll, you can think on it. I'll, I'll share mine first. So I don't remember who told me this, but I do remember the story distinctly where someone was in Africa and they were doing some charity work or whatever, maybe some mission trip. I don't really know. But they they got bit by a bug and they didn't think anything of it. And then like a week later, their blood vessels, which they could couldn't see originally, but then could see. Like, we're turning black, which is never a good sign. <laughs> and it was super painful. It felt like fire in their in their, in their their leg. They go to get it looked at by a local doctor. And the doctor's like, oh, yeah, I know exactly what that is. And they're like, okay, what is it? And they said, this is the worst. You got bit by whatever spider it was. And it laid eggs in you. And that's all spiders. And they were like, nope. Nope. They used nope. a lot of expletives. I and would so, really just want a Ouija board at that point. I'd be like, spiders in your blood or Pazuzu. You're like, I'll take my chances with Pazuzu. <laughs> Screw the spiders. <laughs> right. Goodness right. gracious. Oh, my. Uh, no. And so just, there's a procedure no. for it, but it's painful. I mean, understandably so, right? Like, these things are in your blood vessels, so they, they did the procedure, and, and they're fine now, and, and there's no permanent damage, but... Man, They're a that spider. is the. <laughs> They've literally turned into a spider. Um, not the cool one with Spider Man. Yeah, not the not the cool Kobe Kobe Toby Maguire, not the cool Toby Maguire one. But, yeah, um, no. Like so a that's the, the scariest. In the woods. Like I don't have nightmares, but that's the scariest story that I remember. Um, and I'm just like, woof. <sighs> nope. Just cut the leg off. Just cut the leg off at that point. Well, wow. Okay. Well, mine's a lot more <laughs> tame than yours. And I'm sure there's been like ghost stories that people told me that kind of scared me. But I can't think of one. No- nothing comes to mind where I was truly petrified. Even if it's a ghost story or something off-putting is your story. I remember my parents telling me scary things when I was a kid. 
And they said that if I don't go to bed, when I refused to go to bed as a kid, they said if I wouldn't go to bed, that Krampus would come and kidnap me, make me his slave. My slave duties would be to shovel snow from the clouds onto Earth during Russian winters. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Um... I didn't believe them because I was a, dare I say, (laughs) a precocious little five-year-old. Mm-hmm. But that's what they would tell me, and I would flatly deny it because I, even as a five-year-old, for whatever reason, found that ludicrous. But they they persisted in their um, they persisted in in their, their story. fabricated stories. Yeah, in their trust-building activity with their son. Right. <laughs> I'll I'll save my my thoughts on Krampus and Santa for our Christmas special. I I rightly expect to train. My children, should I have them, uh, to be the fun ruiners at school? And it's going to be a yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we don't have to go down that, that trail, but I've got it all planned out. It's going to be fun. For all the silly nonsense that my parents told me, and I'm really when I say that I mean this one thing that they told me about Krampus, they never pressed the issue of Santa or anything like that. And we were in Ukraine, so Tooth Fairy didn't exist. But right. Growing up, I never believed in any of that. It was just not part of our life, except for a couple of nights that I remember distinctly being told about Krampus, which I think <laughs> when they realized, I was like, go screw yourself, parental units. They're like, all right, well, this kid doesn't, we're not going to, we'll just, we'll just stop doing this because it's not going to work. <laughs> I never understood. I mean, we're on this quest, so we're going to finish the quest. I just never understood giving somebody else credit. Like, I work my ass off for this paycheck. No one else is taking credit for me giving my kids stuff. No, hell no. Just no. like, and so if we're going to talk about Santa, you know, and we talk Saint Nicholas, then teach yeah. your kids. You know, if you want to tell them an yeah, interesting fine. story, yeah, yeah. And whether you're Christian or not, if you want to tell them an interesting story, tell them that the, a jolly man on the North Pole. And listen, I, I understand the irony of me saying that on a podcast where we literally discuss fiction, but this is not. Raising kids is not having a podcast and bantering with friends. So two different Here's categories. what I'm going to do, though. I'm going to give them the fantasy stuff through the books that we read. I don't need to, like, we're going to really invest in the educational side of fantasy. We're not going to, you know, dilly-dally with fake folklore paraded as, you know, holiday cheer. We're going to talk about real folklore, like the origin of Ring Around the Rosie, which maybe you don't want to tell the kids, but, you know. It's going to be a different Oh, yeah, household. probably not. I mean, unless you're, you want to go the European route. My, oh, yeah, you that's know, the my way parents I told me. Yeah, my parents told me about horrible murders they witnessed, so that, that didn't screw me up at all. I'm fine now. Yeah. <laughs> okay, bring us home. Why don't you err on the side of telling us the summary of this story that we're going to dive into? But wait, before we go, Unruly Adventurers, you know what to do. Slap that subscribe button and walk the plank. Now we dive into side quest. Well, good people, today uh, we're discussing a short story with a short title called Ur. It is by Stephen King because it's October and we're doing Stephen King episodes. Uh, it was released on Amazon Kindle in 2009, then turned into an audio book in 2010, and then from whence Jonathan and I plucked it 
It was collected into King's The Bazaar of Bad Dreams short story collection. Like I said, in 2015. I really like the book title. Bizarre of Bad Dreams. This is the second one that you said you liked. You like Skeleton Crew, Bazaar of Bad yeah. Dreams. Yeah. I like this one too. And for me, what stands out is Nightmares and Dreamscapes. I just, I think that. His title, his titles are just fire. They're just for, really good. For the short stories, yes. Yeah. The other stuff is just, I think, your typical titles. I don't, I don't yeah, think yeah. they're bad or good. But his short story collection titles, I think are really good. So this book, like I said, was released on Amazon Kindle primarily in its first release. And within three weeks, it had amassed five-figure downloads. King stated that it earned him $80,000 in three days, which is, I think, a record for short story fiction. Interesting. Okay, that adds a lot of context. And maybe, maybe you need to throw me a lifeline when we go through these and give me a little bit of that context before we dive in or before I read the book. We'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. But that's super interesting. Yes, we will. So we're going to go through the plot real quickly here. Wesley Smith, an English teacher at a college, buys a Kindle after a fight with his girlfriend. And it's supposed to kind of make her jealous because they have a silly fight about books. She's more of a person who likes to read on the computer, as there's a quote in that uh, in the short story, and he's more of a Luddite when it comes to this. So he buys a Kindle, he gets it, it's weird color, it's pink, and it has a function called Ur, from which he can access data from different timelines and parallel universes, marked by a dark tower flashing on the screen. So Wesley discovers alternate universes that have books by Hemingway and Poe and Shakespeare, and other universes that don't have some of the writers he follows. He shares this discovery with friends, and they access an alternate New Times issue, revealing devastating alternative realities to World War II and World War III and the Cuban Missile Crisis. Well, actually, there's no World War II in it. I take that back. But Cuban Missile Crisis and a bunch of other stuff. Wesley, when accessing other ER functions learns of an impending accident involving local students and, dun-dun-dun, his girlfriend, who recently broke up with him. He intervenes to prevent it, and he's successful at preventing it. But upon returning home, he is confronted by the low men in yellow coats, who exist in King's Universe in a couple other books, and we'll get to that. They seek to punish him for using the Kindle's forbidden function, but Wesley argues that it may be fate that forced him to do this, and questions how he acquired the Kindle otherwise. While the low men are not entirely convinced, they confiscate the kingdom to prevent further misuse and leave Wesley to ponder on the vastness of the world's possibilities. And then, it's a happy ending. He and his girlfriend reconcile. And he learns that his girlfriend really, really likes him, always really liked him, and the fight was just an emotional spat. And thus ends the story of Ur. But as with the rest of the stuff that we read, I think, Jonathan, you'll agree, it still has that King Cadence, which I really like. And if I remember correctly, you said that you really like it too. Nice. Yeah. It's, the the pacing was good, and I texted you about this before uh, we recorded the episode, where I like the tension, 
there's some some solid tension in the I'm just taking it, you know, it's 2023. It's um, you know, last quarter of the year, 2023, October-ish. And I'm just like reading it. I'm like, okay, Kindle's been around forever, e-readers have been around forever. So that context is just like it would have I think it would have changed how I took the story hmm. in. And so I need you to do me a favor the way that I've tried to do you favors on stories when we read the like the cradle and some of these other ones where it's like, all right, I'll throw you a little bit extra. I'm literally learning right now that the low men are part of his other universes. I had no idea. And I was like, who the hell are these guys? Like, whatever. Like, so I didn't enjoy this story as much as you. And it's I don't have the context. Hmm. Okay. Because it's Fair it's, it's built Makes into sense. your background of who King is and what he writes. And that will help me like dive in a little more knowing like, hey, you're going to run into these characters. They are seen in, I don't want to call it his Cosmere, but like his other narratives, there's these background characters, the low men, whatever. So, so I didn't enjoy it as much as you because I like, I didn't know this information, but if I did know this information, this feels like the similar type of fun facts like with the Cosmere, where it's like Hoyd is in Warbreaker and Mistborn and the Stormlight Archives and these other stories. Like he's everywhere. And it's like, oh, that's fun because you're looking for him. I feel like two of your friends and your girlfriend and I are the score one for us. Score one for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, like yeah, getting yeah. context is like you hate surprises. So I'm like, read this thing. It's otherworldly. No, it's no, for no. October. I, I don't mind surprises. I like surprises. What I don't like, uh, how do I explain this? I like surprises. Oh, man. All right. Quick side quest. So you remember when I was living in New York and. Yes. Fondly. Yeah. You. Okay. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to. Don't. Bad jokes. Um, so it was my birthday and I wasn't 21 yet. Um, it was like the year before. And somebody that we know. Wait, how long ago did we live in New York that you were not even 21? 2007 to 2010. Yeah. But I lived there for farther than that. I lived there. Yeah, but I, I left. 2014, 15. I lived there 2016. Yeah, I left. I couldn't make it. I'm oh, the yeah. opposite of Frank Sinatra. If you can make it there, you can make it. Well, I didn't make it there, so I'm making it here. <laughs> anyway, this gal, Rachel, was trying to do something nice for me, and she threw me a surprise party. And I have known, and this is, I'm going to let you in on the, like, the inner workings of Jonathan's mind. I have always wanted a surprise party, but I've always known that when I least expect it, I will get a surprise party. I knew this in my bones. And I, like, waited for my friend Rachel to get out of work, and we're riding the subway back. Because she's like, oh, hey, I get out of work at this time. Like, you're finishing school up. Like, let's just ride back together to the place where this party's at. And I was like, okay. Or she didn't. She didn't tell me it was a party. We're a block away, and I turn to her and I go, "Rachel, is this a surprise party for me?" And I'm ecstatic. I'm like a a, a fat kid on cake and heroin. Like I'm just wild. Ooh. She's now frustrated. She's like, "Who told you?" And I was like, "I knew that I was gonna get a surprise party when I least expected it." And my my brain kicked back on and was like, "Hey, you least expect to get a surprise party right now." And I ran the the last two blocks home because we were having this like Shabbat dinner that we do every week 
and I ran the last two blocks home. I burst through the door and I yelled surprise because I was so excited. And everyone's like, surprise, who, t- who told? And now they're all frustrated. <laughs> Everyone's awesome. pissed. Yes. And I'm ecstatic. I'm like, oh my God, I got a surprise party finally. This is the greatest thing. And they're like, who told you? And I was like, no one, I figured it out. And they're like, we don't believe you. And I'm like, that's fine. I don't care if you believe me. I know that no one told me and I figured it out. Um, so anyway, I love surprises. Slava, I love surprises. What I don't have though is I can't enjoy to to full circle this. I can't enjoy King the way that you enjoy King because you've read more than him or more of him than I have. So you know about the low men and you know that this came out when Kindle came out. I need the external context to enjoy King the way that you enjoy King. When you're asking me for things, it's internal context because it's all in world and in the story. And then I offer external context specifically about the Cosmere because it's like, well, there's these other series is, but those are also in world where it's like, that's a big woven tapestry of narratives together. And it sounds like the, at least with the low men with King here, that his is also like a woven tapestry with all of his other writings. But like yeah. the, the Kindle thing, like that's an external piece. Does that make sense? It does. Uh, but yeah, fair. point for you guys. There are theories out there by fans that King's say an alien. King's an alien and all of his books take place in the same universe. And he mm. hasn't denied it. He hasn't denied it. Sure. But sure. there are characters that you meet in Stand By Me that come up in Needful Things. And there are I characters in it that come up in The Shining. There's like relatives. I think brothers. More than relatives, the thing's brothers. And one brother's story takes place in It, and one brother's story takes place in The Shining, I believe, right? In this particular story, the connections to the other parts of the universe are actually to an eight-book fantasy series that King wrote called The Dark Tower. And it's eight books, and it has like an endless array of like locations and characters and a bunch of stuff going on, right? And for some people, the Dark Tower serves as the central nexus of Stephen King's literary universe because there's a lot of connections, right? You know, like if you ever watch uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia when Charlie and Mac get jobs and then Charlie has that big array uh, of mail, in the bag making connections. That's kind of like a trope in, in, in a lot of uh, uh, movies and stuff. But there's a lot of connections. The yarn on the wall with the photos. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the elements from many of his novels that are connected to the Dark Tower include It, The Stand, Salem's Lot, Insomnia, Hearts in Atlantis, where the low men, I think, are introduced for the first time, Black House, Eyes of the Dragon, The Shining, and The Cell. And The Cell has sort of similar themes as Ur does about technology and all that stuff. And all things serve the tower, something that the low men say. That's very similar to a phrase in the Dark Tower that is all things serve the beam. And it can be taken to mean that everything is fated and happens for a reason, or all things work in harmony with the greater tides of fate, or all events serve a greater purpose, even if we can't understand it. And in the Dark Tower series, which I haven't read, but it's on my bucket list for King. I read book one. I think are six beams, 
and they all connect at the tower, and those six beams kind of hold the universe together. Mm. So I only read book one, so I don't that's know. That's what I understand about it. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, somebody suggested me The Dark Tower, and I, yeah, like I said, I, I've only read book one. It was interesting. It, it starts off kind of westerny. A lot of questions, not a lot of answers, which I think is fine. I remember the pacing being very good. But we can Do add that know? to our ever-growing list of yeah, things no, to definitely. dive into. I want to I do it, and maybe the podcast will actually help me check off that item on the bucket list. But I'm gonna I'm gonna say, do you really like books that leave a lot of questions? Because every time we talk about it, you're always you're always complaining about not having enough information. Where I'm like, that's where imagination kicks in. That's where you can speculate. I don't know of any of my favorite books leaving me with a lot of questions outside of like Lord of the Rings. Now, what questions did you have after Lord of the Rings? They're world questions. It's, it's world building again. Okay. Like. Yeah, yeah. You know, oh, those are that's that's um, you know, that's over on this side of the world with the Witch King of Engmar, and then they move on, and it's like, well, who's the Witch King of Engmar? What are you you talking about like that? You know, you know what's going on? Like, who? who wait, 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 wait. Pause. Go back. Who's the Witch King of Engmar? Mm. And it's like these one-liners that, you know, Tolkien wrote six pages of an essay on that never got released because it's not part of the main story, but it feels like the world is real. Things like that. Those are the questions I have, like Durin's Day, which we do get explained to us in The Hobbit. And it's like, okay, these things, I, I love the creativity of world building. And so to, to, to like address your question, I can't admit that I like books with additional questions because even the philosophy books that I read that provoke questions, I will then chew on the question until I find an answer. So when I read stories, I have yet to experience narratives that give me questions that I'm like, oh, this is fun. I'm not saying it won't happen. But... Yeah. No, and, and I find that so strange. And I don't mean that as an insult. No, no, it's different. Yeah, it's different. I'm right in the middle. If you give me all the answers, I'll be very happy. If it's a good story, I'll be in tune with all the things going on and I'll be happy with the answers. But for example, last week's bonus episode was Beach World. And you ask the question, why is the spaceship in this quadrant? Why are they by this planet? How do they crash? And I was like, dude's going insane because of the sand. You really want to get into why the stupid thing crashed? Like, guy's going absolutely bonkers because of magical mm -hmm. sand. We can't talk about that when where your brain is accessing the other side of the the moon, if you yeah, will, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. but I'll end my little recap of Ur with this, and then we can get into the rest of it. Men in the Yellow Coats. They're introduced in a book I also haven't read, but want to read, called Hearts in Atlantis, published in 1999. It is a collection of two novellas and three short stories, all connected to one another by recurring characters and kind of taking place in chronological order. And so in this book... A character named Ted, who has psychic powers, apparently, according to the synopsis, he is pursued by, quote, menacing low men in yellow coats and garish cars. And that's exactly what happens uh, with our friend Wesley here. Mm -hmm. It's true. They show up out of nowhere. There's no precursor. There's no, I mean, if you've read King, I guess there's a precursor. But as someone who's not read as much of him, it's just like, oh, where do these guys come from? And I texted Slava. I was like, it kind of felt like my review of this short story to Slava was, he said, you know, 
what do you think of it? And I said, well, I'm just going to be a broken record here. Well, you know, it was okay. I said it, it held tension well, but I felt like there was, it was like jazz. There was no resolve. And, and uh, what was your response? Like, what, did you want the girlfriend to die? Something right. like that. <laughs> what, what resolve did you want? Yeah, I and this is the external context of like, hey, this came out just before the Kindle came out. Like, oh, context for the story of like when it was released. Because at least with this piece, I think that it's super imperative that this piece be measured against like, hey, this came out just as the Kindle was coming out. Like, oh, okay, so we have like new technology that is purposely being like kind of poked at in the book. And it's about like, so that makes sense to me once you, once you just told me that. Um, but the other thing I said was, these guys coming out of nowhere, again, because I didn't know that they were in other King books, I was like, this kind of feels like the city in the city. And if you haven't listened to that episode, you can go back and hear my very strong opinions about how much I dislike that book. But it just felt like these guys came out of nowhere and it's like, hey, there's a secret like group of folks who kind of control things and they just shut stuff down and then there's no questions after that. It's just like, we shut this down, give us the technology and then they disappear. Um, you know, just to put it, but in, in my head, in my head, the way I read it the first time, not the, how I read it yeah, this yeah. week, which was probably the fifth or sixth time, the way I read this the first time, which was probably, oh, I don't know, four or five years ago, my takeaway was, okay, these men are obviously from the dimension that the Kindle was created in, yeah, or I picked up on that better yet. Better yet, they are from a dimension that kind of rules the dimensions, and they saw a glitch in the matrix, and they came to fix it, and that's all I needed to know. Why? Because I am learning about Wesley using a thing like Death Note. It flew out of the sky for him, and just like Light Yagami, he starts playing with it, and my interest is not in some dirtbag with a yellow coat whose hands feel like death. I'm with Wesley. That's all I care about. Right. I'm I'm with him as he's pummeling the alcoholic driver. I'm with him as he's being a little uh, little bastard, you know, about his, his girlfriend. I'm just with this guy trying to figure out what the hell is going on in his head as he is accessing this forbidden knowledge, which is breaking his little brain for a little bit. That's all I care about. Like, for me, my imagination can either build a little backstory for the men in the yellow coats or ignore them. Because frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn about the men in the yellow coats. Not because I don't think they're interesting. And I can say that with confidence because when I read this for the first time, I didn't know their connection to Hearts in Atlantis. So really, the first time I read this, it was bereft of any external context or knowledge that you referred to earlier mm. and I still was able to enjoy it and I just think it's interesting I, I find it fascinating the way your brain works with this stuff I it, think it's because I, I have cultivated thinking and systems not just in my, my work but in my day to day life because I tried to entrepreneur for a while quickly ran into like without systems you can't make money not really and so then it was like oh I need to go like learn how to make systems and then kind of from then on, it's been like, okay, well, then everything's a system and everything like the way that you have a better life is systems. And then even kind of how I digest stories, I either turn my brain off completely when I'm like rehashing an old story that I've read or a world that I'm already familiar with and just like 
go along for the, oh, yeah, I remember this. And I, oh, yeah, they, oh, then that's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then if I'm diving into something new, like, here's another quick side quest about some people that we know. One time I was watching, I was, I was you know, asked, hey, do you want to watch The Usual Suspects? And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Uh, sure. Yeah. Like, what's it about? And they, the Nate, our friend Nate, was like, oh, it's like one of the funniest movies in the world. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. So he gives me a context. He's making a joke. But he did it in his kind of like monotone thing at the time. And so I'm like, oh, this is going to be a funny movie. So my whole context with the usual suspects is I'm waiting to laugh. We watched the whole thing. And I'm like, that movie sucked. Because he set me up with like this, you know, he had a joke on me. He's like, oh, no, this is not a funny movie. And I was like, well, that's what you said at the beginning. He's like, oh, he's making a joke. I was like, you didn't make that apparent. It's the joke. Yeah, the joke is on me. We watched a movie that when I went back and watched it later, I was like, oh, this is a really good movie. If I remove the context that I was given on the front end, that this is supposed to be funny, you know, Kaiser Sose. For me, with this, with, you know, this short story is I don't have context. I'm just like going in. And so like, because we're doing The Exorcist right now and I'm thinking about horror, I'm like, oh, these stories should be like, there's either like something otherworldly that's going to be really obvious to me or it's going to be horror or it's going to like get a surprise going. And so my context is wrong for enjoying the book. And, you know, to my point at the, at the front end, it's like, why well, I, I need a little more context from you because otherwise I'm just going to come out with the same way that I'm sure these people are bored of me telling like, oh, let me guess, Jonathan wants more world building. Oh, let me guess, Jonathan wants more questions answered. Oh, let me guess, Jonathan's some boring individual who says the same thing every time. Yeah. Well, the next story that we're reading, I think we're reading <laughs> two more Stephen King two books to finish out October, is straight horror. It is set in England. There are monsters. People are missing. Perfect. The things Perfect. happen. Perfect. It's in Nightmares and Dreamscapes, and that series on Audible had really, really good acting and even some good uh, sound effects editing. So it's great horror with monsters. My Pazuzu is already tingling. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. So with that out of the way, knowing that next time we're doing Stephen King or anything that Slava has read that Jonathan hasn't, I'll make sure to uh, provide you with a little one-pager on <laughs> for my for my situational on. awareness for exactly yeah oh let, let's talk about some uh questions about using technology because right now what 20 years later almost 20 years later a little bit under we have ai and everybody's losing their ever loving minds about ai and inet coming uh, in the next two years mm -hmm. but what are the ethical questions about using technology i'm not sure that what that's what king had in mind I know he had, doesn't have this in mind unless secret to King. What he said publicly and everything that I found that he said publicly about this was he was just having fun. And he wasn't promoting Kindle and he wasn't shitting on it. He was yeah. just having fun. But the way that the story plays out, I'm sure people can, you know, the question like, well, how do we use technology? For example, what Wesley and Robbie and Wesley's colleague, what they did with the Kindle, how they used it. Does that constitute something unethical? I don't think so. And if you look at the men in yellow coats, the low men, 
at one point they say, Aerith thinks serves the tower and eventually let Wesley go. At the same time, they rag on him for possibly letting somebody live who would go on to kill somebody who'd cure cancer. Uh, frankly, I find that just boring. But the actual question about ethical use of technology, I find interesting. Trolley car questions. Yeah, I, whatever. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they had their moment in time when I was 21. I thought they were fantastic now. <laughs> There's actually a little a cheesy board game. It's not even a board game. It's a tabletop card game that, like, you flip cards. I'll send it to you after the show. But um, it's kind of fun because it's just these obnoxious, like, would you, it's, it's the trolley car problem. But with like really obnoxious stuff, like would you kill three cats or two cheeseburgers? You know, it's just silly, obnoxious stuff. It's kind of fun. It's kind of a good time. I want to diet so the cats are going. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The ethical use of technology. So what is the best way to share this story? So I was at a synagogue meeting recently and the rabbi gave his little sermonette about the story of the golem. So the short version of this for anyone who hasn't read up on Jewish mysticism is there once was a Jew who lived during a time and people were being harassed. And he created this golem where he wrote a Hebrew word on this clay figure and it came to life. It was helping save the Jewish people and then eventually turned on them. And so to dismantle its power, he scratched out one of the letters and the belief is that the golem is still waiting to be reborn, et cetera, et cetera, whatever. Golems, as, a, as an entity, uh, originate from Jewish mysticism. Do with that whatever you will. Anyway, so he talks about, you know, humans creating technology, humans creating something. And then he said, when will we know if AI has gone too far? So he uses this little colloquial, th- colloquial thing about Jewish mysticism with the golem of like a man creating something. Then he throws this, like, dynamite out here. Of like, well, when will we know if AI's gone too far? Because just like you proposed, like, well, where's the ethical line? His whole premise is like, well, we live in a world where we're losing human connection and we should be more connected with each other, whatever. And I was just like, okay, well, the, the dynamite you throw out here of, like, when will we know AI's gone too far ha- lives and dies on a presupposition that is left undefined. So the question was, when will we know AI's gone too far? Well, that the precursor to that statement is that there is a too far and that there are boundaries between not far and too far, which presupposes, which is where the word presupposition comes from, presupposes that there's two different states of being, the not too far and too far, which means, you know, we can call them good and bad. And the, but the problem is with the state of the world, people don't like having rules. It's very human to not like having rules imposed on you But when nothing is given boundaries, then everything is permissible and therefore there is no too far. And so the answer to his question, at least based on the the present circumstances of society, is that like there is no too far for AI because we don't have boundaries anymore. We don't we don't have rules to dictate because everyone keeps getting canceled and we won't like fully unpack that. But like no one likes being told that this is how society is going to run. And so. And not to say that societies run perfectly because, like, we're human and we have, we make mistakes sometimes. But my question that I went through when he was saying this because I thought it was just pure rubbish. It's like, there's a huge presupposition here that you haven't even addressed. And people throw things out here 
I went through like an intellectual, and this is that thinking and systems thing that you were mentioning, Slava. Like, this is just how my mind. He's like, he said a single sentence. When will we know that AI has gone too far? And I went on a one, two, three, four, five, uh, six, seven, eight, nine. I went on a ten sentence thought process to break down why this is nonsense in synagogue, because I'm just like. Well, you know, there's these presuppositions and that requires ethics and moral structures. But if you don't define what ethics and moral structures are, then you can't have boundaries. And if you don't have boundaries, then there's no way to discern between good and evil. And then it led me to finalize with like a common trap is stating ideas that live and die on presuppositions that are left undefined. Dude, nothing is worse than an arbitrary statement that's solely based on... presuppositions that you either refuse to admit you have or don't even understand. It, 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 it kills the whole argument. And everybody's at some point guilty of this. Yeah, we, we, we all do it from time to time. Yeah. But like if you have a pulpit or you have a, a, a platform, then it's You're obligated imperative. to do better. You're obligated. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's You're obligated to start from a foundation because epistemology, which I was actually just talking with my sister-in-law about because we were at this wedding and we Things just get pretty philosophical when I'm around, and I don't mean that to toot my own horn. It's just like, this is how I think. If you listen to more than two episodes, like you understand that this is how, how my mind works. I actually got an A in epistemology in college, but epistemology, for those who are unfamiliar, is the study of where does knowledge begin? Like, how do we know two plus two is four? Well, because someone taught it. Okay, well, how do they know? Well, because someone taught them. Okay, well, work your way back. Who first said this? You know, and then like, well, how do we know the sky's blue? Pick any starting point of a single piece of knowledge and just start going backwards and keep asking, like, well, why do we know that? And this is the study of epistemology. You have to define your categories clearly and state them clearly, define them clearly. Two plus two is four. That's an immaterial fact. That's a knowledge that's not like you can't show me unless you give me four pebbles. Okay, there's four pebbles. The fact itself and that knowledge is immaterial. Gravity is another immaterial fact. Like Right. You can show the effects of gravity, but gravity itself is intangible and you can't hold it. Yeah, exactly. So all I'm getting at is arbitrariness. People are so arbitrary when they make any sort of assertion. If you can't answer the question, and this is from an episode that we'll probably drop next week with our buddy Zuber, by what standard you have failed? You, You can't just arbitrarily assert a thing. And just say, well, just because. There's no such thing as brute facts. Just because doesn't exist. Mm, brute facts. I like that definition. So anyway. I derailed this here. Sorry about that. I enjoyed your play-by-play from the synagogue. It was immensely entertaining. But <laughs> I do. <laughs> it's such a long service, Lava. I just, it, I was like on my phone, like, cool, I'm done with this. Because I had like a counseling session that I was supposed to be at. And like, it was a whole thing. Like, it was a very yeah. busy day. And I was just like, I'm supposed to be done right now, and we're not done yet. But before we move on to the next question, I want to take us on a side quest within a side quest that takes us outside of the side quest, if that rambling can make any sense. We haven't... I'm going to do. I'm gonna attempt to do a sound effect thing, and then you can get back into it. For the side quest. So... I want to talk about the story a little bit. Just I know we read the plot, and one of the things I want to incorporate, at least into the bonus episodes and maybe even some of the other stuff, a little better, as we've done with Warbreaker, 
Well, we haven't we done did, it yet. We recorded that. As we that. will do with <laughs> Warbreaker. But as we've done with The Way of Kings, it's kind of discussed some of the actual plot points. Like, I really enjoyed the humor of the story. Kind of like the underlying humor where this guy, Wesley, he's a wannabe writer. And he's a, a college teacher, which is kind of near and dear to my heart because that's what I went to college for was to also teach because those who can't do teach. So I liked Wesley, even though I think he's a bit of a bastard. And I don't mean that because he called his girlfriend, you know, the B word, right? Uh, I don't I don't mean that makes him a bastard, but he's just a kind of just like a uh, kind of guy. He's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. I can still follow him as a character and enjoy his story. How his spite drove him right he was like well forget you you illiterate bitch i'm gonna show you i'm gonna get a kindle anyway and then he's thinking the the line he's gonna use on her if she asks him oh is that a kindle the spite that this kid has when he's buying the kindle and using the kindle talk about that a little bit i i found the introduction to wesley from when we first meet him to when he first discovers her the person wesley what were your thoughts about him honestly his tiff that he had with his friend with benefits, right? Like, which is, it even calls it out in, in like the intro when he's talking about like, well, he and Alan broke up and, you know, they were just friends with benefits. But the thing is they both wanted a little more, even though they were, it started off with them using each other. And I was thinking like, well, you know, I've been used before for emotional benefits, not physical ones, but emotional ones. Well, that's not true. I've also been used for physical now that I think about it. Anyway, let's unpack that. <laughs> no, no, we don't have to do that. That's for off air. We should do... Stay tuned for Wednesday's bonus episode. <laughs> oh, no. Jonathan no. used physically. Oh, it's true, though. It, there's... Yeah. Anyway, um, I went on a ringer there. So anyway, he, he stuck out to me where he was just like, he thinks that he's this nice guy and he's a, so stand-up or whatever, but he, just like you said, he's got this spite and this like kind of self-built image that he's like always right and whatever. And I was like, oh, I remember being like that. That's cute. Not attractive at all to, uh, you know, his girlfriend or ex-girlfriend, you know, whatever. But definitely remember being like that. And I go, oh, yeah. I remember being young, stupid, and right all the time. People love that. Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. No, 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 no. So I, I, <laughs> I re- sadly, I relate with um, his <laughs> pompous, ass- asinine behavior uh yeah so yeah and he even just the, his book collection and that he has a book in him and it's kind of a trope in some of king's stories and i know he gets shitted on for it i think it's kind of funny i give him a pass probably at least part of it is because i'm biased and i'm a fan but the other part of it is i think he does it comically you know when he does this kind of stuff he does it well or he points out the the absurdity of of holding these kind of opinions. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's an easy way to write a short story too. Who good for him? Who cares? But maybe. Uh, but the fact that he's an English teacher at a low rate, mid rate. That's right. College is a very mid college, right? And he thinks he has a book in him, and he has he hasn't started the book. He just has a journal that his girlfriend got him, and he has like four ideas written in the first yeah. first page of it. And I was like, oh yeah, yep. That's that's what I did once too. <laughs> that's what I'm still doing. Uh, yeah, like I have fragments of books that I've started, and it's just like, oh, cool. This is hitting a little too close to home. 
this is fun. Great story, yeah. Pixlava. Thanks. Take the hint. No. Um. <laughs> <laughs> this is the scariest part of October. Your friends are honest with you. Woof. But the next question we have is consequences of accessing forbidden knowledge. But before we wax philosophical on that, I really enjoy how Wesley gets sucked into this pink Kindle because he first starts using it to access poetry and literature from different timelines or parallel universes, whatever. And he's like, oh, wow, Poe didn't die until, you know, X date in yeah. this universe. And he wrote two extra books or Hemingway wrote an ex a different kind of book, but didn't write these books that I read. And so he's having fun. And then he accesses the news, the Ur news. By this point, it's him, one of his colleagues, and a student. And they're reading stories from parallel universes that are horrific, like the end of the world. Like at one of them, literally, is the end of the world in one of the parallel universes. Yep. Or a parallel timeline, alternate timeline, whatever. How are you on the interpret that what struck me as interesting was how quickly that escalated right he's like oh look i'm reading uh forbidden books by poe yeah it did escalate from zero to 100 pretty quickly yeah and then like oh god you know we're reading these horrible things that we now know that in one parallel universe or in an alternate timeline we're all dead they all like part ways and the next morning, he's like, ah, all right, well, that kind of is stupid and sucky that that happened, but let's see what else is in Ur. And then he finds out that his girlfriend is about to die. Mm. And he's like, oh, I guess she's more than a bag of meat, and she's more than just an illiterate bitch. And maybe I was too harsh even calling her that. We got to save her. And he goes, you know, balls to the wall trying to save his girlfriend. And the student, Raji, Raj, Raji. <laughs> Robbie or Roger, I can't remember his name. The joke in the book is the, the teacher can't remember this kid's name. I can't remember his name either. So they go to save their girlfriends, right? Because the boy is dating a girl on the sports team, the basketball team, and he's dating the basketball coach. And Wesley go, goes John Wick, kind of, you know, <laughs> uh, a, a very subdued, retired John Wick who's tired of killing and beats up the drunk woman that causes the bus crash and kills everybody that they love. But everything accelerates, right? And pretty quickly, they're thrown into this thing. And yes, they get off easy in the end, just like you said in your text. And like I said, hey, Kaladin, sometimes we need a happy ending. Not everything needs to be monkey paw level, you know, consequences. But what I want to get into is the consequences of accessing forbidden knowledge. Mm -hmm. Like quickly from reading, you know, unknown Poe books to reading about that in the world to finding out that, hey, my girlfriend might die, which leads him to do a bunch of rash things and everything works out, kind of. And yes, for the story arc, he learns his lesson and he's a better person. Great. But there are consequences of accessing forbidden knowledge. We're going through the Exorcist right now. Reagan, with her Ouija board and Captain Howdy, she doesn't get off easy. Captain Howdy turns out to be a demon. If it's not Pazuzu, it doesn't matter. She gets her world rocked by a demon. And it, her world is turned upside down. She is almost destroyed. And here, Wesley kind of does the right thing. 
and kind of gets off easy. What are your thoughts on that? Anytime that that characters access forbidden knowledge, in the end, it always goes poorly for them. I can't think of a story. And, and when I say forbidden knowledge, I'm going to include Monkey's Paw because he, it's forbidden knowledge to know that this or thing power. Will, yeah. will grant wishes, but they still use it. You know, access, use. There's only one story that I can think of where the... It's not forbidden knowledge, but it is early knowledge. There was a show in the 90s called Early Edition. Yeah. Where the guy gets tomorrow's newspaper today. And it's it honestly, I thought about it when, when we were reading this short story. Where he's accessing the news specifically, and he has like tomorrow's, you know, grandma gets caught in a fire. And he's like, oh, shoot, I got to go like save this woman. And he, and he does. And that's the whole show. And, and I think it goes for like three or four seasons. Yeah, I can't imagine it going for more than three seasons. It sounds stupid. Opposite to your point, though. But, yes, to to your point, when we access what is deemed forbidden knowledge, it doesn't go well. H.P. Lovecraft has, you know, most of his pieces are about accessing forbidden knowledge. You know, if you really boil it down to, like, a kind of lowest common denominator. And what happens? Cthulhu gets summoned and devours the world. So, you know. Exactly. Also, to your point, with The Exorcist, when you dabble in forbidden knowledge, you are opening yourself up to realms and powers. And this is, like, not colloquial anymore. This is, like, real real truth stuff with um, the, the spirit realm. Um, if you access forbidden knowledge, you are opening yourself up to different levels of authorities that you aren't going to enjoy the cost of in the long run. So, um, buyer beware. So... Moving this thing along so we can land this plane, let's kind of blend the last three things together. Um, because we both like science fiction. I like horror. We both like fantasy. You more so, but that's okay. So, <laughs> are there... <laughs> Tell me you're judging me without telling me you're judging me. No, I'm not judging you. Um, because <laughs> you introduced me to good fantasy. Because like I said, in the first fantasy episode we did, my exposure to it was dragons and... Middle Earth, which I liked, and then dragons that copied Middle Earth later on, mm-hmm. which I didn't like. Mm-hmm. So there's there's this blending of elements here. Taking that into consideration, what emotionally moved you in the story? Because it wasn't just like, hey, this is straight horror, or hey, this is straight science fiction. Mm-hmm. What kind of stood out to you? Maybe tie it, if possible, or maybe this would be a two-part question, to the ending. Because he does. It's a happy ending. He does get off. He, the the men in the yellow coats do not monkey paw him or do not sit yeah, in the city yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So dumb. Um. So the thing that emotionally moved me was the 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 turning point. Well, I guess it's just before the turning point where he's like, "Oh shoot, my girlfriend is gonna die. I need to get involved." Before he goes to find the drunk driver, before he dives into, like, trying to change the future. Because most of these stories, Monkey's Paw, The Golden Teapot, you mess with these powers beyond your means. And, uh, shoot, even Roadside Picnic with the, um, what is it, the Hellfire Cat um, slime? The, the hell- orb. The, yeah, the well, orb. The orb as well. The hell, the, hell, the hell slime. Hell slime. That's what it was. Hell slime. The orb. But these things, humans don't understand, like, the dimensions that this stuff comes from. And I realize that these are just stories. 
But when you pull, let's say, a fourth dimension object into the third dimension, of course it's going to be attractive and, and draw you to it. But also, of course, you're going to ruin something because you don't understand how it works. Anyway, but it was the moment before when he is realizing like, oh, this is the future. Oh, we're not there yet. Oh, I can do something. That was like, oh, shoot. Okay, cool. Let's see how this twists at the end. And I mean, it was a twist because it ended, ended happily stupid. But um, <laughs> I, I'm, I, I'm legitimately disappointed. I don't hate it, but I'm legitimately disappointed. Whereas, like, I hated the city in the city. But I was disappointed because I was like, oh, cool. Like, let's see what King does as a twist. And it's like, his twist was, hey, you know, she marries the prince at the end. Cool. Uh, yeah okay and the, and to me the real twist was finding out that this came out like right when the kindle came out which changes the whole story to me but you know to answer your question because apparently i can't answer this shortly is it was just before he started getting involved with the future and trying to affect events that's what i was like oh okay this is the moment and i think it was my my internal build-up and then the lack of a payoff where i was like oh okay um that was cool i guess Something you said struck a memory and a connection to another book. There's a book that Stephen King wrote. It's called 112263. And for those of you who don't know the significance of that date, it's the date that John F. Kennedy was assassinated. The premise of the book, a guy gets access to a portal that takes you back to approximately two years before the Kennedy assassination happens. And that this guy is trying to prevent it. And so he goes to, to 1960, what, be 61, and lives in 61, 62, researches Lee Harvey Oswald, and lives his life in the past. But a recurring theme in the book and in the Hulu miniseries, which I do recommend, you can probably buy it on Apple TV or Amazon Prime, is the past pushes back and nothing good comes of him playing with the past three times that he attempts it if i remember correctly probably a little bit more it always turns ugly and in the end to leave the past as it is he loses the girl kennedy dies and a boy he tries to save ends up getting brutally beaten with a with a mallet so at the end of the book he leaves everything alone as it is because every time he tries to do something, the past pushes back and he screws things up immensely. Now, it's a melancholy ending because he gets off without any punishment, but through learning all these lessons and actually in an alternate timeline, losing the girl that he loves and causing immense harm to the world, to America, he goes back to present day where he is at and goes, you know what? I'm not touching the past anymore. So King has touched on this a couple of times in his writing. I think it might be something he's interested in. But I'm not disappointed with the happy ending because sometimes it's okay to have a happy ending. And this is the the Slavic person saying this, the guy who likes Dostoevsky. My, how the turbos torn, turn, turn. Yes, all those things. Mm. Um, <laughs> I think if I'm gonna, I'm gonna play devil's advocate for you, in response to me, I think it would have been interesting to see how the yellow, the yellow, the yellow men. I keep calling them the yellow men. How the low men in yellow coats would have interacted with 
Robbie, and maybe the girlfriend, just to teach these guys a lesson. If they all pulled them together and said, hey, guys. Right, a little, up? a little slap on the wrist, if you will. Yeah, that would have been interesting, but all that to say, I'm still, I'm still okay. I'm happy right, with the doesn't, It doesn't ruin the story for you, but it's like, all right, yeah. well, I would have liked a little more. Yeah, well, I wouldn't say that. I'm saying if I'm, if I'm allowing you to play devil's advocate, sure, that would have been interesting, but I think by itself, I still stand by what I said. It's okay to have a happy ending because he kind of, you know, he kind of soils his pants a little bit. He he, get, he learns his lesson. I think what moved me the most is how involved, how not involved was the word for it, how committed he was to saving his girlfriend, where as soon as he saw the opportunity to do so, he went all out and he realized that, hey, yeah, friends with benefits, maybe, but I actually do care for this uh, person. And so that that switch for me, I was like, oh, all right, this guy is just not just a wannabe writer slaving away at a mid-level college, bored with life and himself. He actually got a kick in the pants and responded like a like a person should. Little boy grows up. Nice. What did you What did you think, audience? Did you like it? Did you not like it? Are you secretly playing with fate in your in your basement? Candles lined up in a pentagram. Whose fate? Your fate. Anyway. Tell us in the comments. Let us know on Instagram, Spotify, or TikTok. Oh, and YouTube. And also, what is the scariest story that your friend has ever told you? Let us know in the comments below. Stay unruly, you hooligan venturers. We really have to come up with, you know. I'm, try- said, I'm at least trying. Listen, when I said good- goodbye, good people. It's so final. We'll though. see you next time. No, That's- you didn't say we'll see you next time. You just said goodbye. It's just very, it's like. It's like, get out of here, you schmuck. All right, good people. We'll see you in the next one. Sail your boats toward the horizon for the next side quest. Batten down the hatches. We're just keeping all of this in. The demise of the outro. Well, In an alternate universe, Jonathan, there's, there's Slava saying goodbye, good people, and the audience not unsubscribing. <laughs> <laughs>